Welcome back to Fracktown Gumshoe, an audio mystery featuring Niccolo Fitzhugh. Based on the novels by Deborah K. Gaskill at DebraGaskillNovels.com. Season 1, Call Fitz, Chapter 12. If I were back at home, I would have spent this Saturday on the couch watching a baseball game, drinking a beer with Gracie at my side. I wouldn't worry about this shit until Monday. Living at the office made it hard to stop working. Maybe a little distraction would help me out. I wandered over to the television atop the filing cabinets across from my desk and turned it on. I leaned back in my office chair and put my feet on the desk. I pulled the remote from the middle desk drawer, flipping through the infomercials and old movies, settling mindlessly on some blonde trying to sell cookware. Within a few minutes, the phone rang. I leaned over to pick it up, leaving my feet on the desk. Fitzhugh Investigations. Mr. Fitzhugh, this is Sharon Hansen. Her voice was mouse-like and timid. I sat up straight. Hello, thanks for calling me back. Especially on a Saturday. Sorry to bother you at such a bad time, but... I'm investigating the death of your daughter, Gina, and I just had a couple questions. She sighed. I hated talking to victims' family members. This one could be especially hard. The woman had lived through the sexual abuse of her daughter by her husband, for God's sake. Now that daughter, who obviously struggled with keeping the horror of her abuse at bay through drugs and alcohol, had been murdered. What do you need to know? I'm looking for information on Gina, her background, and any contact you might have had with her recently. Another painful sigh. Gina and I have been estranged for a number of years. Her drug and alcohol problems were so severe that I had to separate myself from her. I'm sure you understand. The words caught in the back of Sharon's throat. How much agony did this woman have to endure? I'd seen enough addiction and concerned family members to know that, sadly, happens sometimes. The violence, the theft, and the drama. After a while, you just had to shut the door for your own self-preservation. But her daughter was dead. The drama, with her at least, was over. She deserved a decent goodbye. I saw the stories in the Beacon Journal. You and your family have been through a lot. I hate to see something like that happen, but I have to ask you why you didn't come to her funeral. I've been in ill health for some time, Mr. Fitzhugh, and confined to a wheelchair. I can't drive anymore as a result, and I couldn't find anyone to bring me. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. It was a nice service. Sharon was silent. So are you aware that you have three grandchildren? No, I'm not. Her mousy, pained voice turned flat. That's an odd reaction. Most people I know would be thrilled to know their grandparents. Not me, of course, but then I'm not most people. Two boys and a girl. Cute kids. Mm. I heard that the bar Gina worked at had raised money for her burial and got about half the amount. Some unknown benefactor paid for the rest, supposedly. Do you have any idea who would do that? No, I don't. As I told you, Mr. Fitzhugh, I've been 
out of touch with my daughter for a number of years as a result of her addictions. It's been a long, hard road. I'm sorry I can't help you. You don't want to know what's going to happen to your grandchildren or what's going on with the investigation? I'm sorry. It's not that I don't want to help. It's just that I can't. And she hung up. That's weird. What about Ava? Maybe Ava Cantalini-Jones had a little more insight into this mess. I turned the laptop back on and began my search again for phone numbers. The Indians were playing the Tigers by this time and losing by a run. Maybe by the end of my phone calls, they'd be ahead. I didn't find any Ava Cantalini-Jones and no Ava Cantalini listed by herself, so I made the assumption Ava and her husband Sam were still married. I started with every Sam Jones listed in San Francisco. When that didn't work, I tried every S and A Jones listed, then every S Jones. After hours of hearing, sorry, wrong number, my blood pressure was up and the Indians were down another run. Okay, one last try and I fucking quit. I pushed in the number for that last S Jones and listened to the phone ring. In the background, the announcer droned on. It's the bottom of the ninth, and there's two outs. Indians are up to bat. They trail by two runs, and the bases are loaded. A young boy, his voice cracking with puberty, answered the phone. Hello? There's the wind-up. Hi, I'm looking for Ava Cantalini-Jones and the pitch. Hang on. The phone made a thunk as he dropped it. I heard a yell. Mom! Phone! I held my breath as footsteps came closer to the phone. Please let them be the woman I'm looking for. In the background, the announcer kept talking. He swings. Hello, this is Ava Cantalini-Jones. He connects with a powerful crack of the bat and the ball is flying. It's on fire. Hi, my name's Niccolo Fitzhugh. I'm a private detective. I'm looking into the death of Gina Cantalini. She's dead? I didn't know that. that. That breaks my heart. She sighed. And the ball sails up, up, up. It's heading towards the scoreboard. Yes, ma'am. She was murdered last week. They found her body under the stage at the Italian festival in Fawcettville. I was wondering if you could tell me anything about her, specifically her mother, Sharon. Oh, I, I can fill you in on Sharon. And it's a goner. A home run. The Indians win. What can you tell me about her? Anything specific you would think would help my case? I'm looking into that bitch. It's about time somebody exposed what she did to my brother. Ava turned from a well-bred California mom back to her hard-scrabble Eastern Ohio roots. Excuse me? Sharon fabricated everything she had that girl say on the stand. Nothing that girl said was true. Nothing. That little bitch ruined a good man, and I tell you from the bottom of my heart, my brother never did that. Never. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You mean Gina? It was Gina who testified against her father, right? I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I pulled the TV remote from my middle desk drawer, shut off the post-game celebration, and put Ava on speaker. I needed to hear every nuance in her words. Her rage and her anger burned through the phone lines and she was near tears. This had been simmering for a long, long time. No, Gina didn't testify against her father. She was the only one in that family who wasn't bent on destroying Brian. It was Mariella, the older one. 
I thought back to Alberto's death notice. Mariella was a younger sister. She was listed second in your father's obituary behind Gina. Mariella is five years older than Gina. She was 20 when Sharon and my brother split up. She was 20 when she accused her father of sexually abusing her? What the hell started that? Sharon manipulated her into doing it. She called her at night at her college dorm. Mariella was going to Akron State and wasn't happy there. Sharon started unloading on Mariella about how miserable she was being married to her father and somehow planted the idea she'd caught her father abusing her when she was a little girl. What? Sharon was a master manipulator. I never understood what Brian saw in her, but he was the bookworm, never dated much. They probably thought that some babe like Sharon was going to be his dream girl. She wasn't. Ava spit out the word like it was poison. What was Sharon like? She was horrible to live with. She put on one face for the public where everyone thought she was sweet and lovely and did no wrong, but she was different behind closed doors. Brian told me after the girls were born, he couldn't do anything to make her happy. He'd do anything that woman wanted. If she wanted a new car, well, he'd get her one, even on a teacher's salary. She wants a new house, they go looking for one. Sharon always dressed to the nines. She never went out without looking like a million bucks. Once, on a whim, she wanted their bedroom painted, so my brother takes a whole Saturday and paints those walls the color she wanted and everything. And when she got home with the girls from her shopping trip, she told him it didn't turn out the way she wanted and to paint it back to the original color. And he did it. Wow. So she keeps working on Mariella, feeding her this garbage that Brian abused her, all the while riding him like a rented mule. He was too fat. They didn't live in a nice enough neighborhood. Why hadn't they gone to Europe like all her fancy friends? He used to call me on his way home from work and tell me all this crap. He was miserable and then finally met somebody, somebody who treated him like a human being. It was one of the other teachers where he worked. When he realized he didn't have to be this unhappy, Brian started thinking about filing for divorce. He couldn't stand Sharon anymore. What happened then? Well, Brian didn't understand why Mariella suddenly wouldn't talk to him, so he took a day off from work and drove up to see her at college. I always thought Mariella was a lot like her dad, really gullible and in some ways not real bright, but she had her mother's vicious streak too. She confronted them with all this made up crap. He was flabbergasted and then he was devastated. He tried to convince Mariella she'd been fed a load of garbage, but she believed her mother. When he confronted Sharon about the whole situation that night, it all blew up. Ava stopped and gathered her thoughts. She fought for divorce threw Brian out of the house. Then, she and Mariella filed that fake complaint. That got Brian suspended from school, then charged with child abuse, and the papers got a hold of it. Her words trailed off. Mariella's testimony made sure that Brian was going to be convicted. When he heard it and saw the jury's reaction, he went home and blew his brains out. Uh, I'm so sorry. Gina saw through a lot of it, even though she was only 15. She kept trying to tell the officials that Mariella was lying, but they wrote her off, didn't take her seriously at all. After Brian killed himself, Sharon turned on that kid and absolutely ruined her life. Sharon told Gina she was wrong, a loser like her dad, made the kid question every memory she ever had of from her childhood. Gina would call me and tell me what was going on. She hung on to how she knew her daddy wasn't that kind of guy and 
Her mother crucified her for it. When did Gina come back to Fawcettville? As soon as she turned 18, she left. I don't know why she went back to where mom and dad live, but she did. Maybe she was trying to find some old family connections in the New Tivoli neighborhood or something. I don't, I don't know. She already had a drug and alcohol problem, poor kid. That was her only way to escape her mother. I used to be a cop. I, I arrested Gina a couple times. I can tell you, she was homeless for a while. Oh, God, no. She often prostituted herself to pay for her drugs or alcohol and was involved with a couple abusive men. Ava was silent. I, I'm sorry to tell you all of this. So why did you leave Ohio? The trial and Brian's suicide, it just ruined everything. Mom couldn't go anywhere without people whispering and pointing. Dad was heartbroken. He died within a couple months of Brian's suicide. It was the same for my family. Sam had an opportunity to transfer to San Francisco, so we packed up all our stuff and mom and moved. We've been here ever since. The only time we came back was to bury mom next to dad in Pittsburgh. Nobody knows the Cantalini name out here. Do you have any contact at all with Sharon or Mariella? Are you kidding? I wrote that bitch and her idiot daughter off a long time ago. I have to tell you, I, I talked to Sharon a couple hours ago. Well, I'm sorry for you. No, actually, she sounded very timid, very unassuming. Yeah, well, that's part of the game she plays. Sweet little, long-suffering Sharon. She said she was in a wheelchair now and couldn't make it to Gina's funeral because she can't drive. She said she couldn't find anyone to bring her. She could tell me the sun comes up in the east and I wouldn't believe her. I not only wouldn't believe her, I'd call her doctor to verify the diagnosis and then find out where she bought the wheelchair and ask to see the receipt. That bitch is lying through her teeth. I sighed. So, Gina wasn't a victim of her father. Both she and daddy were victim of a real mommy dearest. I remembered Gina's sad eyes in the back seat of my cruiser and understood. My victim tried to stand up for what is right and got beaten down for it. What kind of person did that to her own daughter? A couple years ago, I got a wedding invitation from Mariella. She was marrying some guy back there, but I don't remember the name. I threw the whole thing out. If I have any more questions, can I call you back? Sure. I want somebody to give that bitch everything she's got coming. That concludes Chapter 12 of Season 1, Call Fits. Fracktown Gumshoe is read and produced by Scott H. Shelton at scottyboombox.com. In addition, you can check me out this month on the True Crime Garage podcast in the Shaker Heights podcast series. We're celebrating cracking our first 500 downloads, so... Go subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and Stitcher. Or, if you can't wait to find out the ending, as always, you can go buy the book or the ebook right now at DebraGaskillNovels.com. Thanks for listening.